Hello and welcome to another episode of Doing It to Death, the podcast that explores various aspects of death and dying through the lens of myth, storytelling and pop culture. In episode two, we explored psychopomps, beings that appear in various guises to bring hope and comfort to the dying and escort their souls to the other world. Today, we're going to bookend that episode by looking at harbingers. Oh, death, won't you spare me over for another year? Oh, death, oh, death, won't you spare me over for another year? A harbinger is defined as a person or thing that announces or signals the approach of another or a forerunner of something. Harbingers can announce any number of things, for example, swallows heralding the arrival of spring, or the folklore that groundhogs forecast whether or not winter will continue for another six weeks in the United States and Canada. Of course, the nature of this podcast being what it is, I'm going to focus on harbingers that appear in various guises to warn or foretell of an upcoming death. Just like psychopomps and unlike reapers, it's generally believed that harbingers don't actually cause people to die, although if they do appear, death in the coming hours or days is pretty much a given. Like psychopomps, birds feature very heavily in myths and stories about harbingers of death. Thrushes flying in the window and settling inside a house are seen as a sign of a coming bereavement in that house. Seeing white owls during the day is believed to be another sign. Whilst crows and ravens can be psychopomps, guiding the souls of the departed to the afterlife and acting as conduits between this world and the spiritual plane, they are more often associated with the approach of death in a more ominous way. In Celtic folklore, the Morrigan is symbolised by a crow. Who is the Morrigan? She's the Irish goddess of death and guardian of the dead. The word Morrigan translates to the Death Queen or Phantom Queen. The Morrigan is sometimes depicted as having the head of a crow, raven or vulture. In early Celtic stories, the Morrigan and her two sisters, Madness and Violence, could appear in the form of crows. The ancient Irish goddess of war, written in 1870, said the Morrigan could predict the death of warriors in battle, and she would appear as a crow, sometimes said to be a raven, flying overhead of the battle. In the story The Cattle Raid of Cooley, the cry or shriek of the Morrigan was said to be a horrible omen of coming misfortune, and it was so terrifying that some men would die of fright on the spot. The Morrigan is a frequent figure in pop culture and in the Canadian TV series Lost Girl was the leader of the Dark Fae. 
fae being mythical creatures that appear across Celtic, Slavic, Germanic, English and French folklore. Perhaps due to legends such as the Morrigan appearing as a crow to those about to die, the belief has continued that when a single raven or crow appears at a house, tapping on the window, a death was looming within the house. That chilling image was reinforced in public consciousness by the Edgar Allan Poe poem, The Raven, written in 1845, which has become one of the most famous and recited poems ever written. The raven in this poem, however, although tapping on the narrator's window after midnight, doesn't appear as a harbinger because his love, Lenore, is already dead. The raven in this case symbolises grief and the inability to move on following the death of a loved one. As the poem progresses and the raven keeps uttering the word, nevermore, the narrator is eventually driven to madness by his grief and despair. The raven was most likely chosen over another bird for the poem because of their traditional link with death and the underworld. The use of crows, ravens and other corvids to symbolise death and grief continues in nursery rhymes such as One for Sorrow, which goes One for sorrow, two for joy, three for a girl, four for a boy. Five for silver, six for gold, seven for a secret never to be told, eight for a wish, nine for a kiss, ten a surprise you should be careful not to miss, eleven for health, twelve for wealth, thirteen, beware it's the devil himself. This nursery rhyme refers to the number of magpies someone sees as being an omen for coming good or bad luck, depending on the number of birds. It originated in Britain in the early 16th century, but in America, jackdaws and crows were substituted, as magpies aren't commonly seen in the United States. As a bit of a digression, you may be interested to know this nursery rhyme is the inspiration for the band Counting Crows after the lead singer heard the nursery rhyme in a 1989 film called Signs of Life. The novel Bellman and Black by Diane Setterfield begins with 10-year-old William Bellman killing a rook, another member of the Corvidae family, with a slingshot. He immediately regrets it. There on the grass, the bird, a rook, juvenile, still black of beak. It was true then. He had done it. He felt something move in his chest, as though an organ had been removed and something unfamiliar inserted in its place. A sentiment he had never suspected the existence of bloomed in him. It travelled from his chest, along his veins, to every limb. It swelled in his head muffled his ears, stilled his voice, and collected in his feet and fingers. Having no language for it, he remained silent, but felt it root, become permanent. Although he ends up becoming very successful, 
nearly everyone close to him dies tragically. And each time, a mysterious man who he calls Mr. Black appears. Is he a figment of William Bellman's imagination, brought on by guilt? Is he the ghost of the rook William Bellman killed as a young boy? I won't spoil the story for you, but I highly recommend the book to you if you like gothic ghost stories. It also gives a fascinating insight into the big business of funerals in Victorian England. If you do decide to read Bellman and Black, I'd love you to share your thoughts on it. One of those books that polarises people. Either they get it and it stays with them long after reading, or they miss the underlying meaning of the book and consider it to be disappointing and confusing. Dogs, like birds, can appear as either psychopomps or harbingers. Unlike the dogs whose spirits guide and protect the souls of humans, however, the most common dogs who appear as harbingers bring dread and terror. The black shuck appears in English folklore going as far back as 1577. There are many accounts of a large shaggy black dog with red eyes. And it was described by W.A. Dutt in 1901 as a huge black dog where, although his howling makes the hearer's blood run cold, his footfalls make no sound. It is even said that to meet him is to be warned that your death will occur before the end of the year. The Hound of the Baskervilles, a novel written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle in the early 1900s and featuring Sherlock Holmes, was based around the legend of a large dog like the Black Shark haunting Dartmoor and killing members of the Baskerville family. Similarly, hellhounds appear in a number of cultural myths and are generally associated with either guarding the entrance to the underworld, such as Cerberus in Greek mythology, or being an omen of impending death. In the TV series Supernatural, hellhounds are pets of Crowley, the king of hell. When someone makes a deal with a crossroads demon, selling their soul for 10 years of fame or fortune, as midnight approaches on the 10-year anniversary, they begin to hear howling and snarling and are eventually torn to pieces by a hellhound that's invisible to everyone but the doomed person. Their soul is then dragged to hell. Hellhounds appear in American blues music, such as Robert Johnson's 1937 song, Hellhound on My Trail. This may be because Hounds of Hell, coming to catch sinners, was prevalent in churches in America's South in the 1920s and 30s. But it may also be due to a common legend that many talented blues players got that way by selling their soul to the devil in line with the mythology of the hellhounds in Supernatural. In Celtic mythology, a white heart, or stag, was considered to be a harbinger of doom. Although in the Legends of King Arthur, it became a symbol of unattainable knowledge. With the growth of Christianity, the white heart was appropriated to symbolise Christ's presence on earth. And an encounter between the King of Scotland and a White Hart in 1128 led to the establishment of Holyrood House in Edinburgh 
on the spot where the king was supposedly charged by a white deer and, upon calling out to God to save him, the deer's antlers turned into a cross and it disappeared in a puff of smoke. These days, the White Hart is one of the top three names for pubs in England. Animals aren't the only things that appear as harbingers of death, though. We have Celtic mythology to thank again for two of the most popular harbingers in pop culture, the Banshee and the Dullahan, or Headless Horseman. The Banshee is a figure in Irish folklore, whose appearance wailing outside a window was considered a sign that someone in the household was about to die. Banshee is the anglicised version of the original Gaelic name Ben Seed, meaning fairy woman. In some stories, banshees are attached to the six ancient families and warn them when one of their members is about to die. Those families were the O'Neills, the O'Connors, the O'Learys, the O'Tools, the O'Connors, and the O'Donnells. So perhaps there's a banshee attached to my family. In Ireland and Scotland, the ancient tradition of women wailing or keening at funerals was said to be inspired by the folklore of the banshee. As an aside, I'm actually taking a course in keening at the moment and may devote a podcast episode to the link between keening and banshees in the future. I find both of those to be incredibly fascinating and not just because of the possible family connection. Originally, the banshees weren't considered evil. They were seen as a friend of the family, which is why they cried or wailed for the upcoming and unavoidable death of one of its members. Over the years, however, pop culture has tended to depict banshees as terrifying creatures with evil intentions. The term wailing like a banshee or screaming like a banshee has come to be used in modern language to describe a hysterical, out-of-control woman, which couldn't be further from the origin story. When the Dullahan, or Headless Horseman, sometimes depicted on a black horse and sometimes driving a carriage pulled by six black horses and using a human spine as a whip, stops riding, the legend is that someone is destined to die on that spot. The Dullahan is only permitted to speak once on each ride to utter the name of the person who is going to die. When the Dullahan speaks the name aloud, he brings forth the person's spirit in order to be devoured. If the Dullahan calls your name, your time is up. Although originating in Ireland, the Headless Horseman in The Legend of Sleepy Hollow was based on the Dullahan and continues to be featured in a number of movies and TV shows. The good news is that, unlike most other harbingers, it's believed a Dullahan can be frightened away by wearing a gold object or throwing something made of gold in his path. Hmm, that's handy to know. Another lesser-known harbinger is the Nairn Rouge, which literally translates to Red Dwarf. The legend is said to date back to 1701, when the city of Detroit was founded by Antoine de la Motte Cadillac, who was supposedly attacked by the Nairn Rouge 
which then cursed him and the city of Detroit. The Nan Rouge is said to have appeared before a number of disasters in the area in 1763. In 1805, when a huge fire almost destroyed the entire city of Detroit, in 1967, and as recently as 1976, when a huge snowstorm crippled the city. Since 2010, the March de Nan Rouge, a street parade, has been an annual event in Detroit. Interestingly, in the Canadian TV series Lost Girl, the Nan Rouge appeared not as a red dwarf, but as a young girl to Beau Dennis, the main character, to warn her of terrible events that were about to take place and the coming of the Garuda, a Hindu demigod. On the sea, the Flying Dutchman is the most famous harbinger, a legendary ghost ship that's doomed to sail forever and the sighting of which means death to those who spot it, whether from land or on the sea. The first reference to the Flying Dutchman appears in 1790, and the ship has been the subject of numerous stories, operas, poems, paintings, a number of episodes of Rod Serling's Twilight Zone, the Pirates of the Caribbean films, and it even appears in SpongeBob SquarePants. It really has captured people's imagination and taken on a life of its own, becoming a fixture in maritime folklore since the 17th century. So what do we take away from all this? Harbingers can appear at any time, anywhere, in many forms. Some, such as the Nan Rouge, appear to be localised to a particular area or, like the Banshee, connected to particular families. Others, like the Black Shark, have been reported throughout the United Kingdom, Europe, Latin America and North America. Although not necessarily benign, they don't appear to be malevolent and don't choose who's going to die. They merely appear as a warning or precursor. The belief that harbingers are terrifying or something to be feared has resulted more from their depiction in pop culture than from their original meaning in folklore and myths. Although, that being said, there are plenty of ways I'd rather die than being ripped apart by hellhounds. So I guess I won't be selling my soul to a demon anytime soon, even if it means having 10 years of fame or fortune. How about you? And that's it for another episode of Doing It to Death. Now, I'm going to ask you to please do one or all of the following three things. One, leave a review or share this episode with your networks. Two, Join the Doing It to Death Facebook group and let's continue these conversations over there. Or three, send an email to info at embodiedconnections.com.au with any comments, feedback or suggested topics for future episodes. Until next time, take care and thanks so much for listening. Death, won't you spare me over for another year? Oh, death, 
Death, won't you spare me over for another year?